recently we lost an international treasure. Her name was Rosalind Carter. And I don't know how much you know about her, but one of her great passions was working with mental health. And the Carter Center that she and former President Jimmy Carter established operated for years with the sole purpose of addressing mental health concerns. And I never knew that until she passed. She worked tirelessly to connect journalists, to keep the stories alive, and to help people raise money for research and therapy. And she led quite a few international campaigns. Her best work was eradicating the disease of guinea worm. Guinea worm, at, in 1986, had 3.5 million cases in Africa, in 21 countries. And it comes from a parasite from drinking water that's tainted, and people would inf get infected with this worm, and it caused great bodily pain, but also severe mental illness with depression, anxiety, mood swings, learning disabilities. The Carter Center poured, you ready for this, half a billion dollars into this project. And do you know that today there are only 13 known cases? 13. They went from 3.5 million to 13 cases. And it is the second human disease to be eradicated along with smallpox. Isn't that amazing? We can do something about mental illness. And I tell you to say this because it is a very tough issue. It's, it looks like you know she got that one fixed, but... Oh my, mental illness is very much a part of our world. Every family has someone that's got some challenges. Every school, every church, every institution grapples with this. I did work for many years with deaf people who use sign language. And yes, you hearing people are the sign language impaired, okay? <laughs> but really, a lot of folks with deafness also had mental health challenges too. And part of it was because they were treated so badly as a person who couldn't communicate. But I saw how it was a scarlet letter, even among the deaf community. They weren't accepted. They were ostracized. They were feared. Mental, illness, mental illness is definitely a complex thing. And so I got to pick what I was going to preach about today, so I picked this because I am passionate about deputizing people to care about mental health concerns because it's largely ignored and it's very underfunded. And we have a great word from us in the word from the Lord in Mark chapter 5 and how Jesus handled mental health. First of all, he engaged the man in the tombs. Unlike the townspeople who were understandably afraid of this person, he engaged him. It was risky business. This man was very powerful. He could have swatted Jesus and knocked him over, but Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion for everybody. And this is one of the most important takeaways from this gospel reading. God invites, God calls, God conjoles us to engage with the unlovely, the unlovable, and the challenging personalities and their pain. It's not an option if you're a Christian. Brian Stevenson, who is from the Southern Poverty Law Center, who has done much work with the broken prison system in this country and the racism that has a whole lot to do with it. Brian Stevens is an incredible writer and passionate speaker. 
And he always leads with, you want to fix this? Get close to the pain. Get proximate to pain. It's the only way you can truly understand people with disabilities and people with mental health challenges. To engage. It's really much easier to walk by and say, oh, they don't smell right. I'm scared of them. I don't want to give them money. I don't know what to do with them. They embarrass me. You know, it's so easy to ignore them. But the best thing we can do is just to engage and acknowledge our common humanity. I sat in a meeting of the Northeast Jurisdictional College of Bishops just last week, and surprisingly, someone on the committee shared about their daughter with schizophrenia. And everybody got real quiet, like, wow. And he told this very, very touching story. And we just really engaged him and prayed for him. And I thought maybe that was the best thing we did the whole week we were there <laughs> because we held him close and appreciated his ministry with his daughter and how much God is working with her and how much God will give him the strength to continue to work with her. When I was in seminary, I did a a clinical pastoral education semester at a mental health institution in Lexington, Kentucky. (laughs) And I learned a lot there. Well, I met a woman, one of the patients, who said, I'm dead. I looked at her and thought, well, no, she really isn't. She's breathing. And so she went on and on about how she was dead. And I, you know, first-year seminary student, decided I was going to fix this. And I said, no, you're not dead. No, you're not dead. No, no. And you're breathing. You have a pulse. You are not dead. But she wasn't having it. She was dead. That was that, right? So I went back to my supervisor, and we talked about, you know, you go to little groups and talk after these sessions. And supervisor said, silly rabbit. (laughs) That was the dumbest thing you ever did. You don't try to argue with someone. You engage them in their reality, and you talk to them, and you listen to them. So I went back the next week, and I, I did that. Big surprise. She told me her story. I stopped telling her what reality was, and she t- told me what her reality was. And then I understood why she was dead. She was dead, but I didn't take the time to listen. So engaging people is so important as we work with folks with mental health So few of our churches do that. We're just not that engaged, especially people with dementia, um, neurological challenges. We just seem like we don't have the skills for it, so we don't do it. But you can do it. You're a church with a welcoming heart that engages the community. So be the ones that engage. Secondly, of course, Jesus healed the man. Demon possession is not a track I want to go down, okay? I don't think we call people with mental health demon-possessed, period. And taking out a whole herd of swine also leaves me with a lot of questions. But I'm not going to talk about exorcism here. I'm going to talk about a healing. Jesus healed the man. He restored him to his right mind. And still today, the Holy Spirit heals people of all kinds of diseases, And it's always important for us to pray for those with mental health challenges. And I have seen these healings, and I give testimony to it. I've also seen healings of spirit, even if the illness persists. That's the difference between a cure and a healing. A cure fixes something. A healing sometimes doesn't fix it, but gives other kinds of spiritual insights, resilience, and strength. I was born with just one eye, 
this is really a phony eye, okay? <laughs> and, and most people think I can see out of both eyes, but I really can't. And I never have. And I remember going to a healing service where I prayed to be healed. And guess what? I can still not see. I'm blind and I still can't see, right? But what God did that night was to heal my heart and to accept this as a gift, one of God's things that God gave to me that I didn't expect or didn't ask for. But it was powerful for my heart, a healing of my soul. And I can tell you right now that's why I ended up working with deaf people for 20 years because I was healed. And I wanted to be with people who also walked with some kind of sensory loss and understand the giftedness of it, not in spite of, but because of. And maybe one of you out there has something that's breaking your heart that you want healed, you want fixed. And maybe you haven't been healed, maybe you haven't been fixed, but maybe God wants a greater healing. Or you can walk alongside someone whose heart's breaking with that which you understand quite well. And maybe together you can form a path of healing and hope that will be much better than any cure you ever have. Still today, the Holy Spirit heals people. I also believe in the power of healing by advocacy for improved mental health services. The development of medications and community-based mental health living arrangements in just recent last 50 years has made a huge difference in the care for people with mental illness. In the past, you just locked them up. That was it. And some of these institutions were horrible. But there was no other options, right? The medication hadn't been invented. Community services were like, what's that? And so really, <clears throat> advocacy... It's really important, and every one of you has a voice. There's so much more work we can be doing. Every time there's a mass shooting, and I'm sorry to say we had one in this conference in October, a mass senseless shooting in Maine, and some deaf people actually were killed in that, which was doubly painful for me. This man was hearing voices. He was definitely someone with a history of mental health concerns. And then as soon as these things happen, immediately the people get on the microphones and the government folks say, we have to put more money into mental health services. We've got to stop this. <clears throat> and do they do it? No. Do you know in May, just a few months ago, our Senator Markey of Massachusetts was one of the lawmakers who co-sponsored the bill, the Community Mental Wellness and Resilience Act. And the bill was to expand our community-based services to address mental health problems that are generated by dis disasters and toxic stress. Anybody have toxic stress? And allow community initiatives to build their own developmental and culturally appropriate strategies for high-risk individuals. That's our Senator Markey. I, I really like, I like this bill, right? And so I've been following the bill. You know, you can follow the bill, go online, and get the number. <clears throat> It has a 6% chance of getting out of committee. And if it ever got out of committee, it has a 1% chance of ever passing. Isn't that sad? Don't you have a voter card? Don't you have a telephone? Don't you have a pen? What if 50 million people in this country uh, would write a letter to their Congress and lawmakers and say, hey, we need to do something about this. You have power. Exert your power. Give your voice. Speak up. 
You can also sponsor a NAMI group in this church, an allowance, a National Alliance of the Mentally Ill. Now, that's kind of old language, mentally ill. We say mentally challenged or mental health. But this is a wonderful organization that works with families and people with mental health and sets up support groups. And they're highly effective. And if you want to start one here, they'll tell you how to do it. And it can be done on Zoom where it's very confidential and people from all over could join this group and folks can get some help and some resources there's things every church can be doing so you also can heal the stigma by conducting mental health education programs where people can understand a little better some of the causes and some of the treatments for mental health Um, and really that's so important because people are fearful of folks with mental illness and i understand that you know most people with mental illness are not AR-15 toting people. The truth is people with mental illness are more likely to be murdered than to murder. And they are killed many times because of ignorance and fear and people who haven't had the right training on how to engage folks when they're having an episode. Training and education is something we can engage in as a church We also can help people pay for their medications, hire workers, get them to be hired for a job. So many times they can't get jobs because people are afraid of them. Give their family members some respite. These are things you can do to heal, just like Jesus. Finally, Jesus restored the man to community. That's the way Jesus always operates, right? His healing miracles position people to become once again a part of community. That's why Jesus says, no, go back and tell people what God has done for you. He could have jumped on the boat with Jesus and had a rocking good time with the disciples, but Jesus wanted him back with his family, back with the community that had been so afraid of him to show the power of God. That is powerful. Jesus knew the power of community. Could this church be a place to welcome those with challenging personalities and behaviors? I suspect you already are. Of course, it takes a lot of patience and creativity, but this is surely the work of Christ, to be community for those who are on those margins. But you know, it's not easy. Community's tough. <laughs> we, we, we work on our bigotries. We work on our, our struggles with differences. Jesus himself took a hit for this healing. As soon as he did this wonderful miracle, the town shows up and says, get out of here. Go. I don't know. They, they lost their pig business or something. I don't know. But to me, it said that Jesus was not appreciated for this amazing miracle he did. And, folks, mental health ministry is really challenging. It's very challenging. I can't say it isn't. I have personally been in a church where somebody with mental health slugged the organist in the throat and ran screaming down the front aisle. Now, that was a moment, (laughs) okay? And then there was a board meeting, and you can't let him back in church. And then there was the hospitalizations, and then there was the incarcerations. And uh, it's not easy. But ministry's not easy. Well, we got a great God who's with us to help us through these things. Despite the deep challenges, there's so much we can do as part of God's beloved community. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus calls you to do. Jesus will be with you in the tombs, in the mental health facilities, in the group homes. Wherever there is pain, Jesus will meet you there. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your witness to us this day through the word. We pray you'll give a double portion of your spirit to your saints here at this blessed church. Give them strength to do work even more imaginable than they're already doing, to reach out to your community, especially those on the margins, with grace, love, and engagement. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.